Amen. All right, in case you don't know who I am, I'm Marin. I'm not who's usually up here. That's Jeff, who is back. Yay. But you can return to your regularly scheduled program of Jeff soon. For now, you have to listen to me. Um, Jeff asked me to speak today because he wanted to have like a variety of different voices coming up to speak while he was away. So I'm here as your representative young person. <laughs> I take that role of young person very seriously. So I'm going to bring a few young person things to this little sermon, starting with some memes. If you're unfamiliar with what memes are, they're basically images with some words that kind of get passed around the internet and they get like really funny because the same picture goes around everywhere and everyone gets to know it. And a lot of the joke comes from both knowing the picture and knowing the context of whatever the thing is the joke that's being made about. So I'll just introduce you to a couple memes and you can learn these and they might come back later on. So this is the first one. It's called the Drake Approves Meme. It's basically Drake. He disapproves of one thing and then really likes the second thing. Like that. And then the second one that I will introduce you to is called the Floor is Lava Meme. And it's basically a picture of something bad and then whatever the person is, avoiding that terrible floor. So here, Jesus getting far away from that floor of sin. Here's a good Old Testament joke. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, And then once you kind of get to know the memes, you can get sort of fun plays on those memes. So you can get like twists, like one like this, where you know this time he's going towards the floor because check it out. Good stuff. (laughs) All right. So in all seriousness, not really here to talk about memes. Actually here to talk about Mark, but remember those lessons about those memes. They're going to be useful. So today we're continuing through our study of Mark. We're going on to Mark 12, um, verses 1 through 12. This is the parable of the tenants. So I'll just begin by reading through it. Good. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. All right. In this passage, Jesus is still in Jerusalem, and he's continuing to speak to the crowd that he was addressing in the temple courts in chapter 11 that we looked at last week. It says that this group 
included the chief priests, the experts in the law, and the elders. He's telling this parable particularly to those religious leaders, and it's noted at the end of the passage, and they were well aware that this was directed at them, and they weren't particularly pleased with being called out like that. But what did Jesus mean for them to take out of this parable? Was it supposed to be a parable to call out the chief priests in that moment? Or is it more of an allegory about Israel and Jesus' place in that story? To us, when we look at this passage, it's pretty clear we can see that there is an allegory going on. We can see that God, the landowner, entrusted the vineyard to Israel, the tenants, and then when he sent his representatives, the prophets of the Old Testament, they mistreated and harmed and killed them. And then ultimately, he sent his own son, and they would kill him too. The ending there references Psalm 118, which talks about the rejected stone becoming the capstone, and that brings its story to the whole conclusion that we can see, the resurrection of the rejected son, Jesus. So the allegorial aspect of this is made even more clear for people who are listening to it who are familiar with the scriptures. So in Isaiah, the words used in this passage, known as the Song of the Vineyard, it talks about the wall and the wine press and the watchtower, exactly the same as it does in that parable. And it specifically says in this Song of the Vineyard, the words, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. The allegorical connection between Israel and the vineyard is made very explicit. In case there was any confusion, it's very clear that that was supposed to be a one-to-one connection in this passage. Isaiah talks about planting and tending Israel like a vineyard, And then it comes to harvest time. Instead of finding good grapes, God finds grapes that have gone bad. That allegory is pretty obvious in the passage we're looking at, and it's clearly intentional as what's written in the parable. But that isn't the only message that people have taken out of that parable. We can see that the religious leaders that were there didn't take the allegory as the message for them necessarily. They took it as a message about them. So what was the point? Was it supposed to be? An allegory like that? Or was it supposed to be a parable to hear the religious leaders? So part of that is what is the difference between a parable and an allegory? So a parable is a story that has like a message or meaning, kind of like a fable. You have the whole story itself has a point and a message to take out of it. Whereas an allegory has a direct relationship between specific story elements like the vineyard in Israel, landowner and God, has a one-to-one relationship. So in the story, it's clear there is an allegory there. It's hard to miss it. And it's clear that when Jesus first said it, that wasn't really necessarily what he was trying to get them to understand in that moment. The people listening, especially the religious leaders, would have been very familiar with the scriptures, including that story in Isaiah. So it's reasonable to assume, presume that they would have picked up on the concept of Israel as the vineyard. It was a pretty common and familiar kind of connection, like, you say vineyard, I say Israel. Like, that was a pretty easy connection to make. But the extra details that make the connection to Isaiah 5 particularly obvious, the wine press and the wall and the watchtower, don't appear in all the accounts that we have of that parable. So it's possible those weren't the exact words that Jesus used when he first spoke it. In Matthew and Mark, both of those, all those words appear. But... If we look at the version in Luke, somewhere, Luke, (laughs) it talks about how a man just says, a man planted a vineyard. It doesn't have those extra details, and the same kind of thing appears in some of the other texts that we have that discuss this parable. So 
We also can see that in the Mark version, it talks about a list of indefinite servants that keep coming, all of them, which makes the allegory to all the different, all the different prophets that came pretty clear. But in Luke, it only talks about three servants coming. So it says he sent his slave here, then he sent another, and then a third, and then after that, he sends the son. So that kind of makes the allegory a little bit less obvious, a little bit less clear. It's possible that some of those extra details were added later for some of the writers just to make the allegory extra clear because it was intended to be there. So it doesn't mean that the relationship between the vineyard and Israel wouldn't have been recognized or that Jesus didn't want it to be recognized, but it kind of means that it wasn't maybe Jesus' primary goal for what the people listening were supposed to get out of it in that moment. It wasn't the key point for the religious leaders to hear in the parable. One thing that's a little bit weird in this parable or at least always weird to me, is the bit about, this is the heir, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Like, that seems like a very weird reaction for these tenants to have. It's not really central to the message, but it can be a bit confusing. So we'll just go through that. Because when the people were listening, if they hadn't been able to relate to the characters in the parable, it wouldn't have been a very effective parable. So part of the story is to make clear that the actions of those tenants were ridiculous and were clearly wrong. Those are clearly the people who are in the wrong in the story. But the people listening would have also been familiar with some of the laws that existed at that time, which make the actions a little bit less distractingly ridiculous. They, would have, they could have assumed that when the son came, it meant that the landowner had died or wasn't going to come back to claim his inheritance. There are laws of possession at the time that meant that an ownerless property could be lawfully possessed by those occupying it should the heir or the true owner not come to claim the land after a certain period of time. So as weird as those actions may appear to us, them going and killing the son, why would that make them the inheritors? It could have actually been to their material gain to do so. So Jesus didn't necessarily mean for the characters in the story to be totally unrelatable to people listening, and it wouldn't have been as confusing as they might be to us today. So what did Jesus want those religious leaders to hear? And what did they actually take away from it? Conveniently, the passage concludes a nice little comment to tell us exactly what the people did take away from it. The parable points out the bad behaviors of those entrusted to care for something. And it says that they knew he had spoken the parable against them. The message was clear to those religious leaders. The tenants had failed the landowner. And most treacherously to the religious leaders, that meant that the vineyard would be entrusted to somebody else. When the religious readers recognized themselves in the story, this could have been a final opportunity for them to repent and not carry out the fate that Jesus had just laid out for them in that parable. But, of course, that's not what happened. They instead used that moment and gave them an extra little push to see Jesus not just as an intention-grabbing preacher, but also as something dangerous. They clearly understood that he was saying the parable about them, and that he was implicating them as being the wicked tenants in the story. In this parable, the, Jesus, the outcome that Jesus said for those tenants was the removal and placing the vineyard into the hands of others. And if the religious leaders were the tenants, Jesus was publicly questioning their leadership and calling for an end to their authority. This guy, this Jesus, he was a dangerous revolutionary that they had on their hands. So this passage states that the religious leaders didn't act then out of fear of the crowd, but they were clearly pushed further on the path to arresting and killing Jesus. So 
In the moment, the message of the parable came across loud and clear. Jesus was calling it out, calling them out, and they heard it, and they reacted. But of course, Jesus knew that they wouldn't be the only people who were ever going to listen to this parable. Knowing that he was about to die, this parable had an important role to play for the early church as well. This is where the deeper message of the allegory is important, and it's where the wonder of the living word comes into play. The same words, the same parable, can hold more than one purpose and more than one meeting, depending on the context and the understanding of the people that were listening. For Mark's audience, who are reading this, the early church, the early Christians, the allegory with the prophets and the allusion to Isaiah, and the conclusion with the psalm about the cornerstone becoming the, showing the resurrection, would have all been very obvious. They had all the information now, they had the facts, they'd seen it happen, so it was easy to match the story to what they'd seen happen. Mark's audience could have also easily identified the new tenants mentioned in the parable, because that part, that was about them. They were the new tenants. The church could see their role, and they could see the distinction between the old tenants and the new tenants as particularly important, because they are different and made it clear that the new tenants could include not just Israel, but Gentiles as well. And in the passage, Christians could find a reassurance that while a clear reprimand of those in authority was part of the plan, God hadn't given up on the project altogether. He had been giving the vineyard to the new tenants, and the story could continue in them. The story also serves as Jesus' third passion prediction. This was not something intended for the immediate listeners. They probably couldn't have picked up on that part not having seen that Jesus was about to die. But the aspect was clearly for the early church to hear. And it was important for solidifying their understanding that Jesus was aware of his role in the story going into his death. As well, finishing off the story with Psalms about the rejected stone didn't just predict his death, but also revealed the resurrection. So these interpretations were important for building the church, and they were essential messages for the understandings of the early Christians. It's clear that Jesus spoke and that Mark wrote, not just for those listening, but for all of the ages. The passage is a wonderful example that when the context changes and people's understanding changes, the meaning of scripture can be grown. There can be more meanings found within it, not just one, and doesn't take away from the other meanings, but builds layers on top. That's the power of having a word that's living and having a word that was written with foreknowledge and understanding that it would be lasting. It's a word that can be approached with faith that there is going to be meaning found if you keep digging into it. A few years ago, I was part of the youth group here at the church, and we decided to put together a little program for some of the junior high kids. So we came up with a name for it. We were just sitting around making jokes, and we came up with the name Schlam didn't mean anything. It's just like kind of a fun name. Sounded fun to say. So we decided to make our one-time little event called Schlam. Now, you know that we still have a program for junior high kids called Schlam. People might look at that and be like, what does that mean? Is that a thing? Does it stand for something? What is going on with this name? They might look into it, try to figure out what it means, but it doesn't have any meaning. You could look at it for as long as you wanted, try to make up a name, try to make up what it meant. There's nothing there. When we were making it up, we had no idea that it would stick around, that it would last more than the three-hour event that we were having, and there's no meaning to be found. Luckily, when we look at the Bible, it's not like that. We know that there's actually going to be meaning there. When we look into it, people that wrote it, and God's work, God's foreknowledge, 
knew that it would be sticking around for a while. So, since we know that there is a purpose for all the ages in there, what does the passage mean to us right now? We can learn from the message that people present there, and we can look at the history of the early readers of Mark. There's historical benefit in the study of those contexts, and it's important to learn the understanding of Jesus' revelations through the vineyard allegory. That's important to us. But it also can have a living meaning for us today. It can speak to us. God can speak to us through his word. So we can find ourselves in the passage. So we see the allegory like this, and that's important. We read it, and we like to see ourselves on the side of Jesus, seeing the religious leaders there as clearly wrong, self-righteous, they're the bad guys, and of course, we're on the right side. We're the good guys. We're on the side of the new tenants. Everything's great. Everybody's happy. But when, when the religious leaders were hearing this story, they probably wanted to put themselves on the side of the good guys too. They probably heard it, and they were thinking maybe the bad guys were the Romans or somebody else. But then Jesus pulled out that Psalm 118, and he made it pretty clear that he was not talking about anybody else. He was talking about the religious leaders and the leaders of Israel. They were the bad guys, and everybody else was the good guys. They were on the wrong side. So we can see with their plans to kill him in response to hearing that, but they weren't really very happy about that, kind of react, about that kind of calling out. But when we look at it, we can see that it was about them, but it's also about us, too. We don't really like to see ourselves on the side of the bad guys in any story. It's much more fun to see ourselves on the side of the good guys. But in this passage, Jesus is telling the people listening to see themselves in the bad guys. And that includes us right now. So those wicked tenants were guilty of taking claim of something that didn't belong to them. They were entrusted with the vineyard, but instead of treating it as they should have as tenants, they behaved as if they owned the place. Rather than paying the rent that they owed, they instead took the benefits of the harvest and just behaved as if there was no landlord that was going to come back and try to take anything and that they didn't owe anything to any landlord. So I want to try like a little thought experiment. Stop for a minute. And just imagine that God doesn't exist. Imagine that there's nothing that you owe anyone, that we can just do whatever we want, no one else is invested in our own lives, and we aren't responsible to anyone, and God never asked us to be trustees of what we were given, but that we can just live our own lives as if we don't owe anything to anyone. So have you had that image in your head of what it would be like? Now, try to see how that image of living totally for yourself, not owing God hasn't asked us for anything, is that different from how you currently make your decisions, what your life currently looks like? That's something that's interesting to reflect upon is to how much that would really change what we're doing every day if we didn't owe anything, if we're not behaving like that. When the religious leaders heard this verse, they knew he was talking about them. Do we know that? Do we hear that God is also talking about us and not just hear what he has to say, but also follow it? The passage is a useful reminder that we're not our own. Its living message to us is that we today don't own ourselves. We are given what we have in trust from God. We're tenants here on earth. God is our creator and our owner, and he paid the ultimate price for our lives. If we refuse to acknowledge that 
And if we refuse to pay what he has told us we owe to him and to listen to what he has to say, if we just continue to live our own way like the wicked tenants did and not listen to the commands of God to love one another, to forgive, and to follow his example, the outcome for us might be something similar to that that the tenants experienced. And luckily, he left us a whole book outlining what he's done for us and what role he wants us to play in that story. So we really have no excuse if we refuse to live our lives for him who owns us. And then that's, that's the lesson that God has for us in this passage, to pause, to examine who we are, to know that he is talking about us, and that we have the benefit of already seeing that how the religious leaders reacted, and we can learn from that, and we can react differently. We can react As Jesus says in an earlier parable, we can hear the word of God and immediately receive it with joy. That is the living message of this passage for us today, in addition to the meanings that it had for the religious leaders back then and for the early Christians. It's still alive to speak to us, that God can speak to us through it today. So, now that we've learned all about this passage, and you remember those memes we learned at the beginning, Here are some memes that, with the context of understanding this part and the context of understanding those memes, can make sense to you. So, here is another Drake Approves meme with the builders and the cornerstone. First the builders reject the cornerstone, and then the Lord approves, and it's good. And here we have the floor being believing Jesus is who he says he is, and the chief priest saying, Far, far away from that. And finally, here we have the floor is hearing the word of God and obeying. This one is one for us. Just getting right in there. (laughs) All right, so we can see from those memes that understanding the memes depends on having an understanding of some of the background, understanding what the meme is about and the context we're talking about. In this passage, it's very similar. The meaning and the context depends on what your understanding is going into it, and what the different people listening that we've seen through history looking at those three points had going into it. They can get different meanings out of it. It had a purpose for people listening to Jesus speak in the moment, has a purpose and a meaning for the early church, has a purpose and meaning for us now. Because of the living nature of the word of God, and God's foreknowledge and crafting the word to say what he wanted it to say, the changing understandings in different contexts can lead to new meanings that don't detract from other meanings, but add to the power of the scripture altogether. So today when we're looking at the scripture, we don't just have to read it and try to figure out what it meant for people 2,000 years ago or be jealous of the word of God being directed at them and not having God speak to us. Instead, there's lots that we can learn for ourselves. Of course, There's also lots that can be gained from studying into the historical context and reading the extensive works of scholars that have done to explain the text over the century since then. And as I've been researching for this passage, it's been fascinating to see all of the research that has been able gone into even just one little passage of the book and the depth that people have gone into those words. So there's so much to be learned from that. But we can also see ourselves reflected in the verse and we can be challenged by them and we can learn from them today assured that God knew that we would be studying them now and there would still be meaning there for us to find. He has the living word given to us today to speak to us. 
We can take the lessons, like the reminder in this passage that our lives are not our own. We can grow from them, and we can learn from them, and we can act on them. Not just reading it and studying it, or finding what others have found over the years, but also fully receiving it, obeying it, and living it today. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being here with us this morning and giving us your word to learn from, that it can be still fresh and important 2,000 years after it was written. Maybe go forth this morning just filled with your grace and ready to hear your word and receive it. Amen.